Thanks for tuning in to the Met Church Podcast. Here at the Met, we are all about connecting people to God and one another. If you have any questions or want more information about what's happening here at the church, then head to our website at metchurch.com. We would love to stay connected with you throughout the week through social media. So be sure to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now enjoy the message. This series that we're in right now is about the basics of our Christian faith. That's why we call it simple math. It's just breaking down the basics. And look, in your faith, in my faith, if we don't do the basics well, it's like, it's like trying to get in shape. It's like any other discipline of life. If you don't do the basics well, you're not gonna see the right result. We talked the first week about the basics of God's word. <laughs> How that everything we do and everything we, um, that as a church that we, we endeavor to take on ought to be based upon the teaching of God's word. It's how you should, we should live our life. Uh, we should live our life according to the teaching of God's word. That's a basic thing. And that's why it's important that we get into his word. It's so important that we understand his word. I've shared with this before. I'll, I'll tell you again, there's not a church in the world that can give you everything you need in one hour. There's not a pastor in the world that can give you everything you need to get you through the week in about 25 or 30 minutes. Or some of my boys will go 45 and 50. God bless them. <laughs> I found the mind can only absorb what the backside can endure. So we try to, I try to get done before you are. So here's the point. The point is you have to learn how to read his word on your own. You have to learn how to get into the word daily. Think about it like food. We've used an analogy many times. You can't just eat one day a week. You can't have one meal and think that's going to get you through the week. You can't just come hear a sermon. Uh, you can't just hear one message from any, it doesn't matter who it is, again, you can't just hear one sermon and think that'll get you through your week. If you're a person of faith, you have to get into the word for yourself. You gotta learn how to cook for yourself. <laughs> you have to learn how to dig out some of that word for yourself. And here's the beautiful thing about the Bible. The Bible is the only book in the world whose author accompanies every copy. You get the author right with it. <laughs> if you don't know what it's teaching, ask him to show you. He'll show you. He'll give you light. And so I'm just suggesting carve out time, make time, maybe say no Bible, no breakfast, <laughs> you know, no supper, no scripture. I mean, connect it with something you do every day and say, by the grace of God, I'm get into God's word. That's a basic, that's a basic. And then last week, Pastor Scott did a great job talking about another basic and that's serving. It's all about others, it's serving others, it's getting outside of yourself, it's good. Theology, it is good. Psychology, if you're having a bad day, the best you can do for yourself is do something for someone else. It is amazing how it lifts your spirits. It's amazing how it changes your perspective. And believe it or not, as you serve other people, you find out there are people out there with worse problems than yours. Isn't that a blessing? <laughs> Sometimes you can just find a blessing in the fact, wow, it could be a lot worse, right? Well, serving connects you with people and there's no one more qualified to serve other people than someone who's gone through something. And if you've been broken, if you've gone through something in life, you're so qualified to serve. It is doubtful that God will use anyone greatly who has not first of all been hurt deeply. And oftentimes the deeper they've been hurt, the greater God is able to use them. So man, don't waste your trouble. If you go through something, use that as a means of loving on and helping other people. And here's another basic I'm gonna to talk to you about today. Are you ready? I wanna talk about the basics of praise and worship. The significance of praising our God and worshiping Him 
each and every day. Now understand this about praise and worship. When you think about praise and worship, most people think about it in context of church. And that's part of it, but that's not all of it. Church is not where you go to commence your worship. Church is where you go to continue your worship. You ought to be worshiping on the way in. <laughs> Can you imagine the spiritual atmosphere in the average church if the Christ followers attending there were at the same spiritual level coming in as they were before the pastor speaks at the end of worship? Now, typically, worship tries to engage you, and you sing, and you're a part of it, and you listen to the lyric, and you allow the Spirit of God to illuminate your heart and mind, to lift your spirit, and there's something that brings you uh, to a place where you're open to receive God's Word, but I'm just suggesting if we were bringing our worship with us, we would start the service at a much higher level than what we already experience. That's why I say you bring, we bring our worship. We bring our worship into the place. So as a Christ follower now, we should be coming to the service worshiping. Now let me separate the two ideas. There is a difference between praise and worship. I don't know if you've thought about that. There's a difference between praise and worship. Praise is the joyful recounting of all that God has done. Uh, praise is uplifting. Praise is positive. When you praise someone or you praise something, you are being positive about that. It's the exact opposite of criticism. It is the exact opposite of dragging someone or talking someone down. And the Bible says, look at it down in Psalm 18, verse three, I called out to the Lord, listen to this phrase, who is worthy to be praised? Can I tell you, God is worthy of our praise. I mean, I, I don't begin a prayer by discipline. I don't begin a prayer that I pray without first of all praising my God. I begin my prayer life by saying, God, first and foremost, I want to thank you. Thank you that I'm not going to hell one day. That's a pretty good thing to be grateful for. Wouldn't you agree? It's been hot in Texas. Can you imagine if we can't handle a little heat in Texas? Dear God in heaven, man. I'm just saying, um, be thankful that your sins are forgiven. Be thankful that you're never alone. Be thankful that he understands you. He gets you and nobody else gets you. We got a lot to praise him for. And so I'm saying that I, my prayer life begins with praise. Now, worship, here's the difference. Praise is positive. Praise is uh, recounting the things that he has done. Worship comes from within. Worship comes more from our spirit. Worship is more intimate and should be reserved for God alone. Listen to Luke 18, I'm sorry, Luke 4, 8. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Now, I'm gonna break that down a little more because I want you to be clear on it before we go home that th there is a difference between praising and worshiping. Now, here's the distinction between the two. Praise is directional. Praise is directional. It's towards God. Praise is me giving him thanks for who he is and what he's done. Now, think about it this way. Psalm 100, verse four, enter his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Now, listen. When I move into the presence of God, the doorway into this closer, more uh, connected presence with God, the doorway is praise. Enter his gates with thanksgiving, into his courts with praise. Now, I'm not suggesting that you don't have the presence of God. I am suggesting that there is an intimacy with God, there is a power with God that people do not get to experience who do not know how to worship and they do not know how to praise. And the secret to worship is understanding how you get into the room. <laughs> and you enter the room through praise. 
That's why Billy Sunday said we need to pull some of the groans out of our prayers and shove in a few hallelujahs. We enter his gates with it. Most of us enter his gates complaining. Well, Lord, you know, this didn't go well and you haven't done that and I haven't seen this prayer. And we kind of, you know, it's like God ought to call out, you want a little wine with that cheese? You want a little cheese with that wine? And so the point is, most of us kind of come into his presence not praising but complaining. And yet the psalmist said, man, the secret to the intimacy that you seek with God is coming through the right door. And the doorway into the presence of God to a greater experience with God, the doorway is his praise. So I enter his courts with thanksgiving into his presence with praise. Here's another thing about it. Praise is universal. Anyone can praise the Lord. Look at 150th Psalm, verse six. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Anyone can praise. Anyone can be thankful. Everyone who has breath can praise the Lord. Now that's, I'm talking about the distinction. That's praise. Praise is directional, it's to God, it's for who he is and what he's done. Praise is the recounting, the joyful recounting of all that he's blessed you with. And praise according to scripture is the doorway that gets me into more of an intimate uh, time with God. So worship, if praise is directional, worship then is relational. Worship now is relational. What is worship? It is communion with God. It is intimacy with God. It is a connection with God on a different level. It is a heart connection with God. And even the word worship is significant. We get it from the idea of worth. You only worship something of value. Something that is worthy is another idea. And so when we worship, we've entered his gates with thanksgiving, we've entered, we, we've moved into that threshold of the presence of God. Now we can say, God, you are worthy. You are worthy of my, of my worship. But, but here's the thing you need to know about worship as opposed to praise. Worship is work. Worship is exercise. You, you, if you're really gonna worship, you have to work to worship. How many times have you had that experience where you're really needing God and you're sensing, you're trying to really sense his presence and you're looking for some direction. And so as you are what, worshiping the Lord, now you're making your grocery list or you're thinking of things you need to do, right? Your mind will get distraction. And because worship is work, listen to this principle. This is pretty good. Not that the other isn't, but this is really good. Hebrews 5.14, by reason of use, using something, having their spiritual senses exercised. Have you ever thought about exercising your spiritual senses? When I'm talking about praise and worship, I'm talking about something that you do regularly, you exercise your spiritual senses. It's interesting, the word exercise, the word gymnasium comes from that same word. And the Bible is teaching a principle, and the principle he's teaching about people who are uh, really understanding the value of praise and worship are people who practice this each and every day, who exercise this area of their faith. Think about it this way. When you, as Paul said in Galatians 5, when you walk in the flesh, you fulfill the results, uh, the, the, the lust of your flesh. Walk in the flesh, you fulfill the lust of the flesh. Then he said, conversely, walk in the spirit, you fulfill the lust of the spirit. All right, think about that as consistent. Think about that like exercising. When I'm exercising my flesh, when I'm walking in the flesh, then the result is I'm gonna be carnal and sinful. <laughs> when I am walking in the spirit, the result of that is I'm gonna be peaceful and I'm gonna make good decisions. 
So I have to exercise every day these principles, these spiritual principles, if I'm gonna get the result. That, that's what I'm driving at. And, and the point I, I want you to see is, listen, you can have all of God's presence, you can have all of God's power that you want. Remember we talk about it like good news, bad news? Good news, that's true, you can have all of God's power, you can have all of God's presence you want. Here's the bad news, you ready for bad news? You have all of his power and presence you want. Some people are willing to put the work in, some people are willing to do the exercise, some Christians are saying, I'm not satisfied with the level of my spiritual commitment, and so I'm gonna change some things. I want some radical changes in my life, so I'm going to begin by entering his courts with thanksgiving and enter his gates with praise. I'm gonna change my attitude and change it to more of an attitude of gratitude, and then I'm gonna to begin to work at sensing God, at, at, at being open to the Spirit of God and understanding the dynamics and the value of worship. Let me give you another Old Testament verse that hits this principle. First Chronicles 16, verse 28, 29. Here's what he said, ascribe to the Lord, all you families of the nations. Now that's praise, ascribe to the Lord. Recount all of, he, all of that he's done, listen to it. Ascribe to the Lord, glory and strength. Again, that's praise. Here's the third phrase. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Now again, that's 1 Chronicles 16, 28, 29. So the first part of that verse, he's saying, man, give God praise. Nine shifts into worship. Here's worship. He says, bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. So here's a beautiful example in the Old Testament of those two principles that I'm teaching this morning working together. The idea of praise bringing us into his presence and worship being a more intimate time and a more intimate experience with God. Now let me break this down for you and show you a practical illustration of it from the Bible. In the book of John, in fact in John 4, we're gonna look at a quick passage there this morning of a woman that Jesus engages and she engages him on this topic of worship. She was a Samaritan woman, she was very religious, she had a lot of enthusiasm toward her religion, um, but she was worshiping in ignorance. She didn't have a relationship with God. She had grown up in a culture that taught people to worship, but they taught them to worship without a relationship with God. And so again, they had a zeal, but it was according to ignorance, not a zeal according to truth. So Jesus engages this woman. You remember the story is setting at the well she comes to draw water, and he asks her to draw him some water first. And then she was shocked that he would even talk to her, even engage with her, because when you study the context in John 4, this woman was a troubled woman. She had been betrayed in relationships. She had made mistakes. She, she had, um, had not only relationships fail her, but her religion had failed her. I mean, as much as she tried to be disciplined by the context, she told the Lord, I understand you worship in this mountain as our fathers did, and I've tried to follow the pattern of worship, but she was empty. Did you know it's possible to, to have a form of worship but still be empty? Um, give you another illustration, Acts chapter eight. The treasurer of Candace, who was the queen of Ethiopia at the time, had been to Jerusalem, and Jerusalem was the most religious city in the world. And this man had been to the most religious city in the world, had experienced worship, and he left that city as empty as when he got there. 
Did you know it's possible to go to a religious place to actually be in the presence of worship and to actually attempt to worship yourself and leave empty, unfulfilled? And it was only until Philip joins the man in Acts chapter eight who's reading Isaiah and said, do you understand what you're reading? And once the man had a relationship with God, the man then understood the value of worship. Well, here was a woman who knew a lot about religious worship, but she knew nothing about true worship. And so Jesus engages her and he said, man, if you would have asked, I would give you water that would satisfy the deepest need of your soul. And here's the beautiful text I wanna point out to you. It's in verse 23. He said, but the hour is coming and now is. Note now, when true worshipers, true worshipers, will worship the Father. How are they gonna do this? In spirit and in truth. And notice what he said, the Father is seeking such to worship him. He said, God is actively seeking true worshipers. God is looking for kids. God is looking for people in this room and online who are true worshipers. Now, let me break this narrative down for you and help you understand this a little bit. Number one, I wanna to talk to you about the meaning of true worship. What is the meaning of it? I said this woman knew something about religious worship. She didn't know much about true worship. She knew something about the form of worship, but she didn't know anything about really connecting with the Father with her worship. Jesus said worship is spirit and truth. What is truth? Truth is what you find in God's word. That's truth. He's simply saying there is a connection with the word of God, there's connection with the God of the word, and if you don't have a connection with the word of God and you don't have a connection with the God of the word, you can worship, but you won't have true worship. And the Father is looking for those who truly worship. Listen, it's possible to have a zeal for God, but the zeal be rooted in ignorance. This is what this world, this is what this woman had. And the world is saturated with that. It, it, it's not that they don't worship, it's that they, they worship, they have this zeal, but it's not according to truth. Someone said a fanatic is someone that loses their direction and doubles their speed. <laughs> That's a fanatic. And there's some people who are very fanatical in their religion, but they don't worship according to truth. Truth, uh, the, the other people conversely may have the truth, but they don't have any zeal. Now I know some people who are connected with God, but they don't have any enthusiasm in their worship. And so you can go to either extreme and not have the effect of true worship be a reality in your life. Look, true worship is not in being enthusiastic in error or being lifeless in truth. <laughs> Uh, true worship is understanding my spirit is connected with his spirit. I've entered his presence with praise and now I'm open before him and I'm desiring to hear from him. And this woman by uh, what Jesus was teaching her for the first time was learning the meaning of true worship. Let me give you the second thought, not just the meaning of worship, consider for a moment the motive of worship. What should motivate people to worship. Number one, what should motivate us to worship is what worship will do for the worshiper. I mean, let's just break it down personally. What worship will do for you, what worship does for me. I mean, there's a motive. You say, well, I think that's a selfish motive. That's all right. The Bible promises rewards. I mean, don't get more spiritual than the Bible. <laughs> The Bible promises if you follow certain disciplines, you can expect a certain result. And I'm telling you, a wonderful, a wonderful reason to learn this basic of your faith, the value of praise and the value of worship, is for what it will do for you. It is amazing, as someone has said, what praising can do, and it's incredible what this time of communion with God through worship can do for your spirit. Um, here's the dynamic. You, you become like what you worship. Someone has first well said that first uh, a person shapes the idol, 
and then the idol shapes the person. You you really do become like the thing you worship. Listen to 2 Corinthians 3.18. We all, with open face, beholding as a glass the glory of the Lord, listen, beholding his glory, we are changed into the same image from glory to glory by the Spirit of the Lord. What is he saying? He's saying as we behold him in our worship, as we see him, we're in his word, we've praised him, and we're, we're saying, God, speak to me from your word, and we're experiencing this communion, this connection, this worship with God. He says God is doing something supernaturally in that event. He's changing you from glory to glory. You're becoming a little more like him. People start seeing a result in your life. You say, man, the old you would have taken my head off for that. The new you, you seem to be a little more tolerant. You, you seem to be a little more patient. You seem to be a little more loving. You say, well, let me tell you, I've been exercising. <laughs> uh, each day I've been, I've been praising him and worshiping him according to spirit and truth. And what he's doing is he's changing me from glory to glory, from point to point, from place to place. He, he's building my life and he's building my character. And the Bible says that's what happens when you, you move into this intimacy and this communion with God. The supernatural thing is he begins this work, guys, of changing us. We become less and less of what we were and more and more of what he is. And isn't that the goal anyway? <laughs> I mean, when Paul wrote about the church, he said, unto him be glory in the church. What does that mean? You could define the word glory this way, everything God is, everything he is. So when a church brings God glory, a church is becoming a reflection of everything God is. Look into the Bible and see what he is. Loving, forgiving, compassionate, merciful, helping those who are poor and helping those who are broken. That's what he is. And when a church begins to do that, then the Bible says, according to that principle, you can see God's glory in the church. Well, if that's true of us collectively, that's also true of us individually. God is being able to be manifested in and through our lives when we follow the disciplines and we do the exercise and we learn the importance of, of praise and worship. So the motive is, I do this for what, God, for what it does for me. Here's another motive. I worship for what it does for God's heart. It pleases our heavenly father. I mean, what do you give to the man who has everything? <laughs> what can we offer God? You know what you can offer him? You can offer him your praise and you offer him your worship. You can offer him your love. I mean, that's the thing. The Bible, what's he saying? He said, Jesus said, lady, God is seeking people who worship him that way. That's what he wants. If he wanted any, if he could ask any of us for anything through his word, he would say, I want you to worship me. I want you to spend time with me. I want you to walk with me and talk with me. One of the most beautiful passages in Genesis 5 is a man that not much is known about him. His name was Enoch. And the Bible says concerning Enoch, it says, Enoch walked with God. And it was a beautiful expression. It, it had this idea that Enoch was consistent and he continued in his walk with God. It's an interesting word. He didn't say he ran with God or he sat with God. He said he walked with God. Walking is something you do every day. Walking is a natural thing. And what's implied in that was Enoch had a natural relationship with his heavenly father where he understood the value of praise. He understood the value of worship. 
And then it says this in Genesis 5, Enoch walked with God and one day he was not, for God took him. One day in their walks, God just probably said to Enoch, Enoch is closer to my house than yours. Why don't you just come on home with me? Wouldn't you like to have such a relationship with your heavenly father that you could be so consistent and so uh, connected with him that when that time comes for us to leave, you just hear him say, son, it's, it's closer to my house than yours. You just come on home. It's the motive of worship. It's what worship does for the heart of our heavenly father. Here's the third word. It's the method of worship. The method of worship. What's the secret? He said to this woman, worship him in spirit and in truth. How do I worship God? In my spirit. Now notice Jesus wasn't talking about the Holy Spirit here. He was talking about the human spirit. When the Bible says glorify God in your spirit, he's not talking about the Holy Spirit. He's talking about the human spirit. He said, you, you and I have a spirit. We have an attitude. We have a soul. And he's saying the way you connect with God in an intimate way through your worship is when it becomes part of your spirit. Listen to Romans 1, 9. For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit. Now watch the difference. This woman had a religious experience of worship that was empty. It didn't change her life. It didn't satisfy her soul. Jesus was talking about giving her water that would change her eternally. And here's what he was trying to get this woman to understand. When the human spirit connects with the Holy Spirit, you for the first time have true worship. When your spirit connects with his spirit, now you're worshiping in him in spirit and truth. <laughs> the connection of the spirit of God is truth. And so when you have that connection, you can now experience his presence. So let's step through it as I close. I'm seeing the basics of entering his courts with thanksgiving and entering his gates with praise. So I, I need to change the way I'm praying right now. <laughs> when I start my day tomorrow, I'm gonna start by saying, Lord, first of all, thank you. Thank you that I woke up. I, I, I wanna thank you. Thank you for what you've given me and thank you even for the things you've taken from me because both shows your love for me. And you began to praise him. And then as you're praising him, you move into his word and you say, God, speak to me from, speak to me out of your word. I need a word from you. I need to hear from you. My spirit needs to connect with your spirit. And in that moment, you're enjoying, your, it's work because you're gonna think about stuff you gotta do today, you're gonna have distractions, dogs barking, you, you, all this kind of going, so it's work, it's like exercise, but if you stay disciplined and you spend some time, you say, how long should I stay? Here's a good discipline, just stay there till he speaks to you. <laughs> you stay there till you sense you got what you needed. And so as you spend that time in his word, that's, it's not rocket science, that's worship. You, you've done it, way to go. <laughs> you've worshiped him now in spirit, and in truth, and here's what the Bible says, Psalm 145, verse 18, the Lord is near unto all them who call upon him and those who call upon him in truth. You've done that. You've praised him. You've spent time in his word. You've called out to him in truth. One last verse. Mark chapter 12, verse 30, Jesus said, love the Lord your God. How? With your heart, passionately. Love him with your uh, soul, selflessly. Love him with your mind thoughtfully and love him with your strength willfully. Everything you have, all that you are, 
you say, Lord, I love you. Can I tell you something, folks? The greatest, highest good that any of us Christians can ever achieve is communion with God, is worshiping him. There's nothing higher. There's nothing better than connecting with God through praise and through worship. Listen, there's a lot of guys out there that can preach better than me. God knows there's a lot of people that sing better than me. There's a lot of people out there can do a lot of things better than I can do. But you know what none of them can do? None of them can love Jesus more than me. None of them can love him more than me. I can love him with all my heart, all my soul, all my mind, and all my strength. And I cannot imagine what a church would look like who totally, just totally committed themselves to Jesus and said, Lord, we're in your word. We're going to worship. We're going back to the basics. We're going to love you, and when we love you, we're going to love who you love, and guess what? He loves people. It'd change our church, folks. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the basics of praise and of worship. Help us, Lord, to kind of draw a line in the sand and say, from this day forward, we're going to do that better, more effectively, more passionately, more consistently. I pray, Father, we'll walk out of this room more challenged to grow our faith than ever before. Thank you, Father, for those who have discovered what I've preached and it's changed their life. Thank you for the example they set before everyone they know. And Father, I finally pray for my friends who may never have trusted you. They're kind of like that woman. They're here, they, they worship, but it's just not changing their life because they've never, never received you as Savior. I pray this would be the moment where they swallow their pride and humble their heart. And they say, Lord Jesus, with all that I know about me, I now trust all that I know about you. Come into my heart now, forgive my sin. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you have any questions or prayer requests, please contact us by visiting metchurch.com so that we can follow up with you this week. We look forward to seeing you next week.